0: Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. For more information and to donate online, go to 3cr.org.au. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast.
1: 3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past, present and the Kulin Nation who recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Autonomous news,
2: analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to late (laughs) 30am.
3: Good morning. Good
2: morning. everyone out there listening today. It's the 21st of May. In the studio we have the incredible
1: Zoya. Hello, I'm (laughs) back. I came in for one week, you thought you got rid of me but I'm in now for good. You're here to stay. I am, I hope.
2: (laughs) And myself George. Anya is taking a day off today but we will definitely be seeing her next week.
1: Absolutely. It'll be a full a full studio next yes. week. Yes.
2: And we're also, unfortunately, missing Chris as well. Um, but I'm sure they'll also be back, hopefully, next week as well. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And hopefully I can I can fill their very impressive shoes when it comes <laughs> to the headlines. Yes.
2: I mean, I've already h- had a little look and it looks pretty comprehensive, I would say.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I got a bit excited on the old <laughs> Twitter and Googling this last night and this morning.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we have a pretty big show today. Sounds very otherwise. exciting. Yeah. So the first we uh, will have uh, Tilly and Athena, who are the activists and supporters of the Jabberwung Embassy that um, have been a part of the embassy down at MAP, where DT Zelenak has been detained now for nearly two weeks, I think. So we'll be talking to them about what's been going on down there and what support's been shown And where to next, I guess. And then after that, we will be joined by Nadine Chamali, who is a writer and social worker. She also writes for SBS and she's just an all-round incredible person. We're going to be speaking with her to have a bit of a post-election debriefing and just to talk about, I guess, our reactions and what... Yeah, what needs to happen now to kind of... Move forward. Move forward, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Not just despair, but like, yeah, the next step. Hope, Hope. hopefully.
1: (laughs) And you can't, no one can see Georgia's face right now, but she is smiling from ear to (laughs) ear at the idea of chatting with Nadine. I'm so so excited. I think it's going to be a really great interview.
2: (laughs) And then after that, we will be speaking to Roxy Moore, who is from Change the Record. Roxy has... Come on Tuesday Breakfast probably about four times in the last month or so. She probably
1: has more right to call herself a presenter than I do. (laughs) At this point,
2: definitely. (laughs) Um, She obviously does incredible work there, and we'll be chatting about the Four Corners program and the treatment of children in watch houses in Queensland. And then lastly, we'll be chatting to Iran from the Tamil Refugee Council about 10 years on, it was a, a, the 10-year anniversary since um, a, a period of pretty significant Tamil genocide in Sri Lanka, so we'll be talking about the protests that they organised last Wednesday and also about the incarceration of Tamils in Australia, such as Priya, Nadas and their children, and basically what, what what is going on there and what everyone can do to support the the push for, for these people to be released. But perhaps we should
1: start with some headlines. Move on to some headlines, yeah. absolutely. So I'm not sure anyone's aware, but uh, there was a few sausage sizzles on the weekend that were accompanied with a rather large vote. And the results... <laughs> I mean, we're aware of the results, so we'll move on from that. Um, but looking forward at the results, because obviously... They haven't all been counted. I'm not, I'm not certain at the moment exactly where we're sitting with how many have been counted, but it's around the high 70%. Mm-hmm. Obviously, with pre-polling and postal votes, they take a bit longer But analysts are suggesting that the coalition are likely to hold 77 seats and Labour 68, so that's a comfortable majority for the coalition. um, But that majority will not transfer into the upper house. So um, at the moment, looking at the Senate, um, Uh, I think 40 of the 76 seats were up for re-election in this term and the coalition aren't going to hold the majority, which needs to be 39. Um, The most likely scenario is that they're going to win 17 in this election for a total of about 33. Labour are likely to win 13 for a total of 26, so not holding a majority. But the Greens are going to win six for a total of nine, um, which means that um, a combination of... Labour, Greens and Independents could well swing certain votes that pass mm. through the upper house, but okay. obviously those factions aren't all, those parties aren't all, um, along the same line. So there's going to <laughs> it's very likely, diplomatic. yeah, there's likely going to be a lot of shuffling and moving back and forth and classic. Senate excitement when bills pass through the upper house in the coming in the coming term, mm. um, it could take a few weeks for us to know this result though, because as we know, um, the Senate counting takes a long time for any of you out there who did go and vote or were lucky enough to be able to vote on Saturday. you can see the Senate ballot paper is a rather unwieldy thing, so trying to count and move through all those preferences yeah, yeah could take right. some time I mean for example. Um, in the ACT, there is a senator, um, called Zed Seselja. He's a liberal senator. In the ACT, they, ha- they hold two Senate seats, and usually it splits between Labour and Liberal, um... Dead Selja has been a senator there for the Liberal Party for quite a while, but they had to move through from memory something like 26 rounds of counting for him to come out as the senator for the ACT or the liberal senator for the ACT. So um, it is a rather complicated process. We're unlikely to know for a few weeks, but it looks like um, the coalition aren't going to hold a majority in both houses, which could make for some interesting movements.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't aware of that. That—that's at least a glimmer of hope in the
1: <laughs> potentially, potentially. But obviously, um, you know, all the all the all the coalition need to do is be able to get six people on side in the upper house in order to move bills through. Mm. So, you know, I'm feeling Scott Morrison's probably feeling um, pretty um, confident at the moment. Um, moving on to looking through some more election results, um, Karen Phelps, who ousted Malcolm Turnbull in the um, Previous election um, has lost her seat to David Sharma, the previous ambassador, um, Australian ambassador to Israel. That obviously has some um, interesting um, implications for the Liberal Party. If Karen Phelps had won, it would have been an indication to the Liberals that they were losing an element of their core support in favour of people like Karen Phelps and other independents. Um, However, it looks like the vote for Karen Phelps was in fact a protest vote against Malcolm Turnbull, which really shores up the Liberals' feelings around their, their core support, which is moving them towards doing things such as, um, they are likely to move to appeal, not appeal, repeal the med- medevac bill that Karen Phelps spearheaded um, and brought through last year. So there are likely to be some, um, confident moves on the part of the Liberal Party. Um, in in the coming um, sitting period as a result of these of these results final little piece of um, election pollsters such as news poll and ipsos are set to review their practices around collection of polling data obviously the polls were saying a very different story and that story um, is very similar to the story that came out you know the polls that Um, were around around Brexit, around Trump, even six, I think six years ago, the UK, six or seven years ago, the UK election, where the um, Conservatives won a very comfortable majority when they're expected to lose in a landslide. It indicates that the way polling is being collected isn't actually as effective as it used to be. There are a number of reasons for that. The main one being that pollsters don't have access to mobile phone numbers which means they have to treat the data in order to try and get it statistically significant and, and relevant, which obviously is going to have an impact. There has been some suggestions, for example, um, I think his name is Martin O'Shaughnessy, who was the head of news poll for 10 years and left, I think, in 2016, has suggested that until um, the uh, pollsters are allowed access to um, private numbers and that kind of data they won't be able to produce accurate polling. So they've been lobbying the government for a while to have access to that. Obviously, there are privacy issues around that and a variety of different concerns. But Anthony Green, um, you know, ABC's star sophologist, mm-hmm. um, has said that until polling groups have access to that data, we're unlikely to see polling as a significant part of um, any pre-election infra- um Pre-election discussions or anything like that. Instead, we're likely to be moving towards data mining. So, Bella Stantich from Griffith Uni, he's a data mining expert and a professor. He um, did a lot of data mining, looking at social media use, interactions on. Pages such as um, Scott Morrison's page, the Liberal Facebook page. And this is on Facebook, obviously, but he also looks at Twitter, I think. Um, he was looking at um, the Labour page, Bill Shorten's page, that kind of thing. And he had done similar things around um, Brexit and around Trump and the election when Trump won. And he predicted both of those. He also predicted a Liberal win in this case. So it looks like his approach could potentially be the way of the future when it comes to this. I don't know how, um, you know, whether that's a, a good thing or a bad thing, but it is showing that data mm. mining, as opposed to talking face to face to people, could be the way of the future.
2: Yeah, I think this is so interesting that that it sounds like there hasn't been that kind of information prior to now in terms of mm. that in terms of widespread polling. Absolutely. To look at how people are using websites and yeah, Absolutely. Which, which parties they're looking into and mm. yeah mm. and and that being a key reason why we we didn't have accurate understandings of what was going to happen so yeah really interested to see what comes out of that because i think it's really important for for the public to know what is actually going on
1: yeah yeah absolutely especially when we consider that polling information or those or those um the news or all the news around the potential results of elections can really impact what yeah. happens in elections. Yeah. So it's important that our information is as accurate as possible and we don't move down the... It's not fake news, but incorrect, incorrect and misused news, mm. perhaps, route um, with a potential um, increase in distrust mm. of... Uh, of this information gatherers. One last little piece of election, it's going, going election crazy at the moment, um, the Labour leadership race. Obviously, Bill Shorten stepped down as leader as a result of the election. Um, there was a bit of back and forth yesterday. At one point, Tanya Plibersek indicated a potential interest in running, but then came out saying that she would rather focus on family um, commitments and that kind of thing, which in politics often is a euphemism for um, not having the numbers, potentially. We're not mm-hmm. entirely sure, but that that could well be the case. Anthony Albanese, also of the Labour left, is currently in front as a potential potential front runner. He's obviously been around for quite a while. He's got a bit of a cult following amongst young people, um, you know, Albo and all of that. Um, So he could well come out on top if that were the case. Tanya Plibersek is likely to not continue as deputy leader of the opposition because she also is Labour left and you usually need to have a balance. If that is the case, we're likely to get a Labour right. Someone potentially like Jim Chalmers, who is from the right faction in Queensland, which obviously is a place where Labour didn't have much success. Then again, Jim Chalmers has also... um, indicated or being encouraged that he may put his um, his hand up. Chris Bowen, as well, um, the shadow treasurer, um, who was the architect of the tax plans, may also um, nominate. On top of that, um, the agriculture spokesman, Joel Fitzgibbon, has said that he may run if Labour doesn't take a more centrist approach. There is potentially a feeling then from all of these back and forths that, There may be a bit of a knee jerk reaction or maybe not knee jerk reaction, but a bit of a blowback from some of Labour around the um, policy direction they were taking. This election is very, very interesting in terms of where policies may go or especially in terms of how policies may be used or spoken about within public discourse. Labour had an attempt at moving forwards with a policy driven platform as opposed to a personality or scaremongering driven platform, and they weren't successful. So there is a potential that this is going to impact how political interactions are moving forwards Mm. one little a couple little international pieces of news mainly from the u.s a very sad one um a fifth migrant child has died after being detained by u.s border patrol they were 16 years old um they had been detained after trying to cross the border um between mexico and the u.s and um unfortunately um they um they died in detention. Um, it's just absolutely terrible. It, the U.S. the US um, Border Patrol has been detaining a lot of children over the past months and years, and those numbers keep increasing. They're set to um, open up another 500-person tent to um, hold all of these people and families and children. It's, it's pretty horrific. Um, not a great thing to be talking about at 715 on on a Tuesday morning, but, but, but there we are. Um, also in the US, um, Google have blocked Huawei, the, um, technology, Chinese technology company. They've blocked Huawei's access to Android updates and tech support, um, for you Huawei users out there. Um, Huawei still have access to the open source license system that is used by Android, but they won't get updates and tech support. They said they have a plan B in place to um, continue with this. But um, on top of that, um, Intel and other large U.S. chip manufacturers also not going to sell chips to Huawei. Huawei have stockpiled chips. So for the foreseeable future, that may not be an issue. But this is all in response to last Thursday, the U.S. administration declared an economic um, state of emergency and have blacklisted a bunch of large Chinese companies. This obviously has massive implications for U.S.-China trade interactions. Um, Fifty percent of Huawei's market may be impacted by this. So moving forwards, there may be some interesting movements in the sort of global economy around this, especially when we consider that China holds a significant part of the U.S. national debt. So, um, it's always important to have an eye on China-US economic relations. Mm. But finally, one very nice piece of news. I know we're running a little bit over time, but, um, Dati Chand, the 23-year-old Indian sprinter who won, uh, silver medals at the 2018 Asian Games. She also got, um, she also has hyper-androidism, much like Castos and Menia, but her appeal to the Court of Arbitration in 2015, um, was, upheld and successful and, and she's still really? continuing to run as an athlete yeah yeah so it's interesting that Kasat semenya's um uh appeal got denied when Dati chan's didn't um okay but anyway she's 23 year old sprinter she has become india's first openly gay athlete she is in a same-sex mm. relationship with a woman from her village in the eastern state of Odisha. So that is super exciting. It's always nice um, to have more queer yeah. people of colour out there yeah. and especially somewhere like India where that isn't overly visible. It's, it's a really nice, nice piece of news to end on.
2: Thanks, Laya. I mean, there's always so much going on. And keep listening if you want to hear more of uh, post-election chat as well.
1: Santa Concha, what the hell is a completo anyway? It's a Chilean hot dog, mate. What happens when lots of people get together and eat completos? It becomes a completada bailable. If you really want to experience a completada bailable and
4: support our 3CR community, come to our fundraiser, Saturday 8 of June at Moreland City Bandroom, 16 Cross Street, East Brunswick, at 6 p.m. Come and take your culo with DJ Twin and DJ Otorongo. And live music by Abe Danovitz, Little Chili, and their mates. Limpiese la boquita que le quedó paltita. My
5: name is
1: Ruby Susan mouth. my pronouns are so they. You're listening can. to 3CR Radical Radio, and that was Vinday with Stella, Rosie, and Claudia on Hello,
5: I'm Liz
2: Wright. Welcome to Are You Looking At Me and International Day for People with Disability. Today on the show, we meet Trish Maloney and Frank Corventi, who are some.
3: Did you miss our 12-hour special broadcast for International Day of People with a Disability? Radical Disabled programmers discuss the NDIS, Aboriginal rights, creativity, youth access, financial security, parenting, LGBTIQ, intersections and so much more. Head to 3cr.org.au forward slash Disability Day 2018 and listen back any time.
2: You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR. We have a guest on the line with us today. It is Athena, who is an activist and supporter of the Jabrung Embassy. Thank you so much yes. for joining us this morning, Athena.
5: Thank you for having me. Hey.
2: So I feel like a lot of our listeners will know about Jabirung, uh, the mm-hmm. Protection Embassy, but perhaps you could tell us a little bit about what's going on up there for any listeners who haven't heard.
5: Yeah, so pretty much um, the Jabbarong Embassy um, is up near Ararat, two and a half hours west of Melbourne. And um, there have been blockade camps set up there uh, almost a year ago now um, to protect, to make sure that Jabbarong country and sacred land, sacred trees are protected by um, yeah, by Jabirung people. Um, because of Vic Roads and their plans to erect a three, four, th- um to erect a four lane highway pretty much mm-hmm. to save three minutes of driving time through to Ararat. Mm,
2: and so, it's so it's so ridiculous that for three minutes of time they want to get rid of 800 year old trees. It's just yeah. It's hard to imagine the <laughs> rationale behind that, honestly.
5: Yeah, it's pretty hard to understand their way of thinking. But I suppose when they have a plan and when they they want something done, and I think Vic Vic roads are quite notorious for getting what they want as well. Hmm. So it really just shows their attitude and their power play in a situation like this.
2: Yeah, and I think that probably links quite well into the next question about DT and uh his involvement in the in the in the movement and what has happened to him in the last couple of weeks mm,
5: yeah so dt um or zalanak um he is a indigenous spiritual leader who has um he's been kind of at the forefront of these blockade camps um and he's lived up on Jabbarong land um to protect these trees for almost a year Um, And so just over two weeks ago now, on the 3rd of May, he was arrested and taken off-country for minor traffic offences and denied bail (laughs) and moved to... Yeah, he came to the Melbourne Assessment Prison in the city and he's now been moved to Ravenhall. But, yeah, so pretty much that's exactly, like, when we found out about him being moved to this prison... Um, we knew that we had to act in solidarity for him and to show our support for the Jabarong embassy. Mm. And um, yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. Much. And it sounds like from some of the articles that I've read that this is a much longer time than other people that have, you know, like had similar mm. sentences or whatever mi- minor offences have have. It's a longer period than that, 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 than what they've spent. Is that correct?
5: Yes, that is absolutely correct. I mean, I don't know about you, but I haven't really heard of um someone being especially like Anglo people, um, being denied bail and being kept for like a month, um, for for like a suspended licence, getting mm. caught with a suspended license and verbally disrespecting a police officer. Mm. Um and a good example that we have been sharing a little bit with people is that there is a farmer, um, in East Gippsland who killed 406 wedge-tailed eagles, um, and got the, got half the time that DT has been kept for. Mm. And so, yeah, this injustice is historically typical of yeah. our racist government. Yeah. And, yeah, I think it's just, it's a good, um, it's a good example of the law enforcement and, the, the way that they target First Nations people and removing them from their country. Yeah, so, especially yeah. at
2: a time when there's really important work to be done and that DT, it sounds like he was a really significant part of that.
5: Mm, absolutely. And, I mean, he still 100% is. You know, mm. his his physical presence isn't there, but, you know, we can all feel his presence. His I guess, like, uh, the relationships individuals have had with him and... um the impact he's had on Jabiru Country, those camps, like it's huge. It doesn't just go away.
6: So
5: yeah. <laughs> we yeah. can't wait for him to be back. Um, but until then, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna stand out the front of this prison yeah. <laughs> in solidarity and show show people and spread awareness and make sure make sure yeah everyone's aware that it's not okay.
2: Yeah, yeah. And c- can you tell us more about what kind of support you've seen at the embassy since you've been there?
5: Mm, yeah so um i suppose uh yeah to be clear the the peaceful sort of assembly we're calling it um at the front of the Melbourne assessment prison in the c b d is an extension of jarang, so um we are individuals who have come out to show support and solidarity um and while we're here we represent we represent the embassy. But mm-hmm. All decisions and everything still go, has to go through them, which is up near Ararat. That's at the, at the camps up there. Um, but so the sort of sh- support that we've been shown is—it's <laughs> just been—it's been amazing. Like the conversations that we have with strangers each day. People stop as they walk past and ask questions, or perhaps even on like you know the ninth day that someone walks past, that they finally stop and get curious, and they're like, oh. <laughs> what are you guys actually doing we've, yeah. we've, I've seen you for the last week and a half. Um, and that's been really valuable to us because it just enables conversation and kind of closes the gap between um, between this issue and the people, especially because the em- like the Dhaburung camps and the embassy um they are quite far away, and so I think people can become sort of disconnected from it and separate se- separated. Um, so this really, like, brings it straight to them. Like, there's no excuse for them not to learn about it here. Um, so that's been really great. And, yeah, we have people donating food and, yeah, people coming with meals. And some people, you know, they'll bring us portable charges. And I guess the main thing is just the people present, those that want to come out and actually sit with us and have those conversations with strangers and with each other and... Um, just, just, you know, the people that come out because they want to show solidarity for Djiaburong. Mm. That's, that's the most important thing for us. And it's been so heartwarming to see that support.
2: Yeah, it seems really powerful. It's not only that you have people coming that know what's going on, but the fact that you can reach people because you're in that position where you are so visible, you know, in that yeah. city corner. That's mm-hmm. And that, you know, I guess a lot of people might not have that exposure, but then once they... They do hear about it and understand that, you know, it's not okay and it's not right what's happening.
5: Yeah, exactly. And I suppose, like, we, we've we tried to make it really clear that this space is a peaceful, respectful place and we just stand in solidarity, you know. We're not here to fight and we're not here to, like, um, yeah, to cause any kind of disturbance, really. It's, that was Those three words are kind of, like, the driving force of this, assembly um and so I guess that encourages a really like quite healing and um positive energy mm. so it's, it's been really it's been a really overwhelmingly positive experience um for for us at, at map um but also you know very important to keep in mind that it's not a positive situation and that there is huge injustice happening mm. um and it's also, yeah, bringing to light the efforts and like just dedication of the people who have been up at Jabberong from the start
3: for like yeah.
5: almost a year. <laughs> Cause I know, you know, some of us are feeling, starting to feel pretty tired coming into our third week of camping out here. Um, so we can't imagine what it's like yeah. to be faced with this for, for so long. So, yeah, it's just it just inspires us to keep going. This is sort of the least that we can do as mm. supporters,
2: I think. Mm. Mm. And for listeners who would like to show support, what are some things that they can do, If not, not just for what's going on where you are, but also um, up at Japarong Country, what kind of support mm. can people show?
5: Yeah, well, I think um, the Japarong Embassy... Um, is welcoming all the positive support that they they can get um, especially there's a few dates that are being thrown around like at first um, it was going to be the 15th of May that Vic roads were going to come in um, and it was going to be a stop work so they were going to potentially come in with bulldozers um, and so pretty much um, the dubrong embassy and all of the, its supporters and allies are are pretty prepared for an amber or red alert, um, which means we're we are kind of on standby to take action and go out there and blockade if need be. Um, so, because pretty much, you know, some of these trees they're over 800 years old. They've seen generations and generations of um, babies being born inside the chunks. and um, there's, there's so many different sacred trees um, that have meant different things Um, and so yeah we need to make sure that they're protected so I guess something that individuals can do if they have the capacity is to go out to to Jabberong and and visit and just Mm -hmm. yeah stop by Top Camp which is along the Western Highway and start a conversation um, being really respectful of course and just helping out you know there's even things like doing the dishes and kind of tidying up and making sure the fire is kept going like those things are really valuable to people that have been out there a long time yeah um but on the 29th that's the next date for the stop works which means there's potential there again for vic roads and a lot of police probably and that kind of thing to go out um and try to try to get things happening Mm. um So at the moment, yeah, that's the day. It keeps being moved forward, but so we're preparing um, for a red alert on that day. So if people can head out there on that day just to show support and be a body, be a presence, that would be great.
2: Mm. And if people can't make it up there, can they also come and visit you?
5: Yes, they absolutely can. (laughs) Um, And that would be awesome. We would love that. It's coming into we're thinking, um yeah, it's coming into maybe our final week at math. Um that might change depending on what happens with Zalanak. He appears in court um next Monday. Um and so at the moment, yeah, we're thinking this is this will be our last week.
3: Mm-hmm. And
5: that means we kind of we wanna get momentum building. We wanna end it on a high and um, get everyone who supports this to come down so if you are in Melbourne if you're in the city and you've got some spare time um, or you just you want to learn more you don't really understand what's happening or you just want to chat with some really cool people <laughs> yeah. um, please come down it's like on the corner of Latrobe and Spencer and you don't have to bring anything <laughs> you just bring yourself or if you'd like to bring a meal or if you'd like to stay just bring a mat and a like and a sleeping bag um and yeah that's exactly what people have been doing just rocking up with the stuff they need to sleep on and starting a conversation and it's been absolutely brilliant Mm. we've touched so many people and informed so many people about what's going on and people care like it's something we all need to show support in i think
2: Especially at this time, I guess, just having had the election, it's good to know that there is that support out there and there are a lot of people working towards creating change. Yes,
5: absolutely.
2: Thank you so much for your time this morning, Athena. I know you must be tired. And all Mm -hmm. the best with the rest of um, your time there
5: and with this movement. Thank you so much for having me.
3: Hi, I'm Jacob from A Friday Rave, and I'm also on 3CR's Committee of Management. Now, the community of passionate people that founded 3CR a long time ago made some tough decisions. For a start, they committed themselves and a growing community of listeners to back their vision of owning our station and in doing so, remaining independent of the government and corporate influence. They did this by fundraising, brick by brick, with work and bees, door knocks, on-air drives and all the rest of it. You've all been there. Now, their commitment has kept 3CR on air for over 40 years. That's a long time even in my life. But now, we need your commitment to keep this great thing going. Now, you can subscribe online at 3cr.org.au or phone us at the station on 9419 8377 or even stop me on the bloody street if you see me at some rally or other and ask me for a membership form. You need to become a member of Melbourne Radical Radio and subscribe.
1: Santa Concha, what the hell is a completo anyway? It's a Chilean hot dog, mate. What happens when lots of people get together and eat completos? It becomes a completada bailable. If you really want to experience a completada bailable and support our 3CR community, come to our
4: fundraiser, Saturday, 8th of June, at Moreland City Bandroom, 16 Cross Street, East Brunswick, at 6 p.m. Come and check your culo with DJ Twin and DJ Otorongo. And live music by Abe Danovitz, Little Chili and their mates. Blinkese la boquita que le quedo paltita.
1: You're listening to 3CR, 855 on the AM and online at 3cr.org.au. We heard before from Athena, who is standing in solidarity down at the Melbourne Assessment Prison um in support of DT Zelenak, who has been... Detained there, uh, he's part of the Jabrong embassy. Prior to that, we had a song from Wafia called "I'm Good." It's a classic breakup song for anyone out there who might be going through a breakup. I recommend listening to it on repeat. It does <laughs> help quite a lot. Um, and next, George, who do we have on the line?
2: On the line, we have Nadine Jamali who is a writer and social worker. Her work focuses on the experience of uh, the experience and needs of migrants, particularly newly arrived refugees and asylum seekers. She writes for various public locations, but SBS Life is her home, and she also is the founder and director of FEMO Collective, an online space providing support, networking, and referrals to women and gender diverse, di- diverse people, uh, and today she joins us for a post-election discussion. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Nadine. Total close <laughs> So let's jump right in. What were your first, your first thoughts when you saw the election results?
6: Um, I can't say it was surprised, surprise, to be honest. I, I thought that there was a really good chance that the election could go the way that it did. Um, I was certainly disappointed, like everybody else. You know, um, I thought Australia could do better. Um, but, you know, it, it was what it was. Mm.
2: And you've talked about how you, you feel like nothing actually went wrong in quotation marks, and also countering the, the idea that this is not the Australia I know, and those kinds of comments. Can you expand on what you what you mean by that?
6: Yeah. Look, I, I mean, something went wrong, obviously, with Australia at some point that we, <laughs> as a country, embraced this racist rhetoric, and it is racist, you know, um, having someone on the floor of of Parliament saying it's okay to be white or having, um, you know, Fraser Anning being involved in politics in any way, obviously, um, you know, something hasn't been right with, you know, Australia overall and these attitudes overall for quite some time. Um, So in that sense, nothing went wrong because we knew that this was happening, that the majority of Australia um, did actually have attitude in in some way, shape or form. Um, I think that the Liberal Party were really, really clever in in something that they did. And I think they allowed um, One Nation and Fraser Anning to rise up. I remember when when all the things were happening, you know, um, the final solution speech, everyone kept saying, well, why is this happening? Why are they allowing them to do this? And I think in hindsight, it's quite clever. They allowed someone else to become the extreme. Mm. Once upon a time, the Liberal Party was the extreme conservative, but they've actually allowed someone else to step in and take that extremist spot, allowing them to seem quite moderate in terms of their policy and what they're doing. They're not the crazy racists. They're kind of be okay we really are looking after the country so that's really i think what the majority of australia was seeing um and i think as a result you know the polls showed that um so you know when i say it, it wasn't surprising or something it, it didn't go wrong um i don't mean ethically it didn't go mm. wrong i think we saw the effects of a really um low-key campaign from the Liberal Party that allowed um, other people to do certain amounts of work for them to frame them in a certain way.
2: Yeah, I think that's really accurate and we've seen that kind of message um, that has been put forward by a lot of other people including Chelsea Bond who you know, yeah. Yeah, very much said a similar thing on Twitter recently about how it's just that um, the Liberal Party is extreme enough now that we don't, yeah, that there doesn't need to be that support for those even further extremist uh, groups and parties.
6: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's something that traditionally the Labor Party did 20 years ago. Um, They would frame the Greens as the extremists Mm. and frame themselves as the moderates. And I think as we've kind of, time has progressed, um, we've seen the Greens aren't actually extremists. They're people who who seem quite caring and, um, you know, Educated. Uh, that was one of the things once upon a time they used to say about the Greens that they weren't. So I'm, I'm really um, happy that that isn't happening, but it is an interesting um, political move, I mm. guess.
2: And do you think that, I know this is quite a big question, but do, do you think that this is an issue of the left not being organised enough to kind of counter these narratives and counter that fear among Greens?
6: no i don't I don't think the left isn't organized enough um, I think that it's a matter of society and culture and what we 've seen i mean you know the left inverted commas, is up against this really mass media machine. you know the Murdoch press owns the majority of the media um so what we 're seeing at face value or what the public is seeing outside of you know um, the little community-based bubble that I think a lot of people in the left, inverted commas, it's mm. kind of ha- hard to say that, but, um, you know, we don't actually have a lot of control on, on what the public is seeing. So I think in terms of organisation, no, not necessarily. Um, I think in terms of maybe infiltration of the mainstream mm. media um, would be something that I think um, would be really effective down the track, mm. Um you know, trying to get our voices heard a little bit more and and trying to um, appeal to the public in a way. There's obviously some sort of block that's not allowing the majority of Australians to see um, certain things. Um, And I I do think that the mainstream media, you know, is to blame for Mm. that.
2: Yeah, and I I feel like a lot of us, I think speaking for myself personally, uh, maybe we're a little bit fooled by the bubble a little bit. And, yeah, yeah, and I feel like and, and, and I need to credit also other Tuesday Breakfast presenters who have shared a lot of this info with me on Twitter, but um, mm-hmm. writer Omar Sakia, who wrote that we need yeah. to, to to be aware of that, the fact that what's been said on Twitter is not the same as what is broadcast to millions of people by politicians who literally, literally write the laws. And I think that that kind of understanding is so important that, yeah, our little Twitter bubble or our social media bubble is not indicative of the the, the discourses going on in broader Australian society.
6: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think I said it on Facebook as well. I was shocked that people were shocked and mm. that people were surprised. Um, I didn't expect people to to have, you know, no concept of it. But I think I'm I'm lucky. I work in a kind of um, mainstream area sometimes and I get access to a lot of people with a lot of different perspectives. So I was outside of the bubble um, this time around. Um, But yeah, certainly, you know, um, we've consistently seen this rise in that conservative right-wing racist backwards rhetoric across the country. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the fact that we're seeing F off wear full stickers that kindy drop off sometimes and things like that, you know, that is the reality of um, it, a lot of people, and um, I think looking forward, the only way to break through that is education, is reaching out. It's going to take people who are in a position of privilege and relatively less leaning um, to, to carry that burden of education on a one-on-one level. I think we really can, on a grassroots level, make a change. Um, without having control of that media. But I think it really is going to involve people really getting out there and doing that one-on-one chatting. I mean, we saw it in Brisbane. We saw Max Griffith. He he did a really good job. Um, He's a Greens rep, and he had a lot of people out on the ground, um, you know, chatting, and we did see a swing um, for him, Uh, I think, don't quote me, but last time I checked, he got about 21% of votes in his area, um, which is huge uh, mm. for a young guy. And I think that was really indicative of his um, one-on-one, being on the ground, having his crew out there, chatting. Um, you know, I think that's really going to make a difference between now and the next election. If mm. we, if we do.
2: And do you think that, I guess, linking to what you're what you've just been saying, that there is a significant kind of group of people that have, you know, are politically kind of um, progressive but perhaps a little bit apathetic and that it's a matter of tapping into these groups and kind of pushing people to actually be more active and more engaged.
6: Yeah, I think the people who are already active and engaged can't get any more active (laughs) and engaged. You know, I mean... People who are on the ground, uh, you know, I get called a loudmouth all the time. You <laughs> oh, know, Jean's talking again and she's at it again. And I know that I'm only a tiny drop in an ocean of millions of people who are doing it. But yes, the ones who are speaking are speaking very loudly. But I think there are a lot of people who kind of just get on with their life and, and, you know, like you said, are a little bit apathetic and I think it is tapping into them. I think it is chatting to them and saying, hey, look, you need to start chatting. You need to be louder. Um, you can't just kind of let it slide. Um, yeah, I, I think you're, you are absolutely right. Mm. Um, a friend of mine, uh, David Kolak, he's an academic in Melbourne. He said, killing the future is a strange way to make a living. Um, and I think that was really it, the mm. crux of this election. For so many people, it was about um economics and not necessarily about social justice. And um, to them, the, the public has been convinced that the Liberal Party economically for business people is going to be better. And I think it's about reframing that. Mm. Um, I, I ran into a friend yesterday who owns a bunch of real estate agencies and he said, oh, I'm so glad the Liberal Party got in. You can imagine the look on my face, he said, it's not going to hit me in the pocket. And I mean, I just thought my heart kind of, you know, crushed a little bit. Um, And David's quote of killing the future is a strange way to make a living. I think people aren't thinking forward. Um, And, you know, if I was able to sit down with that friend and have a coffee and have a chat and kind of really put it on the table and frame it for him in a way of like, Think of your kids, your kids' kids. What do you want? Like, it's great that you're leaving them a bunch of money, um, but if you're leaving them a world that's going to implode, mm. really, what good is that? Mm. And I think it's going to take that one-on-one connection. It's going to take those of us that are working so hard to step out of the bubble. Um, yeah. You know, we're talking to each other, which is great, but now it's time to start talking to people and have a lot of really uncomfortable um,
2: conversations yeah and then I guess that question of are you voting for yourself or are you voting you know for your community you know are you actually thinking about how these policies Absolutely. will affect people other than yourself and maybe there needs to be these discussions around what voting really means you know wh- what does it mean when you go into the polling booth who, who are you voting for uh, but Absolutely. I wanted to ask you about what you just touched on there, then in terms of it, it does also seem like we are becoming more divided politically and we want to associate only with people that share our political values and I think that's a really interesting point about stepping outside of that uh, but also the difficulty of doing that and having those uncomfortable conversations.
6: Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's not just difficult. I think the people who are having those uncomfortable conversations are usually people who are directly affected, people who are marginalised mm. in some way. So it really takes um, you know, a physical toll, an emotional toll, for them to continue, and now there's this, um, you know, emphasis for those in those positions to even go further and reach out to people who are even more unlike them and people who are even directly oppressing them. Mm. Um, You know, I had a friend who was a, a refugee, and she's awaiting status, and she says, who can I talk to to tell them my story? And, you know, I spoke to her, and I just thought, you shouldn't have to. Have to tell your story and bear your trauma yet again to convince Australia that this is happening. Mm. It's my responsibility and responsibility of people who aren't in your situation to now take your story and start sharing it on a one on one level. And I think, you know, from popping into your neighbour's house, and people say, you know, oh, look, grassroots stuff doesn't, doesn't change things, but it, it really does. We've seen our bubble, our bubble, that left bubble that we keep talking about grow significantly in the last 15 years. I mean, um, you know, watching the Greens grow from strength to strength in the last five, 10 years has been amazing. Um, And that is because of grassroots activism. And now is the time to kind of get out there, have a chat to every single one of your neighbours. And this is for people who are in positions of privilege. Mm. Marginalised, look, they need some downtime, especially after this election. I think for people in marginalised situations, Seeing their friends who aren't marginalised be surprised after the election has been exhausting. Mm. People who are suffering from racism or injustice, hearing their friends go, oh, I'm really surprised that the election went like this, Um, you know, must have been so frustrating.
2: Yeah, I think that's so accurate. We really need to step up. People with privilege need to step up in, in whatever those kind of structural areas are and have those conversations and, and be more active. Um, I think that is a really important thing for us to keep in mind moving forward. And I, I liked also Ruja Mehdi's, uh I'm, I'm coming back to the tweets, I'm sorry for this. but No, um, it's great because, because
6: that is what we're hearing, isn't yeah, it?
2: Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, And she said, can we stop pointing the finger at who failed to do what and why? Gather yourself. Hold on to that energy. The resistance continues tomorrow. It doesn't ever end. I thought that was a really powerful sentiment.
6: Yeah, I I agree with with Rouge's comment completely. Um, I think for those of the people who are in marginalized situations, asking them to not point fingers, is really really hard and I don't think Rouge is referring to them Yeah. Um, so I caution people to be really careful, I mean if you're turning to a friend who's in a marginalised situation and you're saying to them, oh look don't point fingers at Queensland for doing this or doing mm. that no, True. let them point the fingers yeah. I think accountability is really important Queensland did drop the ball I mean, Dutton Dutton's in power again, he won the seat of Dixon yeah. you know, the most hated man in Australia somehow, but I think Rouge comment, um, is to the majority who are in positions of privilege, yes. absolutely. This is the time to not drop the ball. Um, this is the time to, to step up. Um, I kind of said it to a, to a friend again on social media, in our bubble, I said, "There's one thing I absolutely love after defeat, it's that um, saddling up afterwards for battle, you know, yeah. yourself in getting ready, um, I said, Tally Ho MS, um, let's do this, mm. um, and you know maybe maybe this kind of disappointment post election is what we needed is to give us that fire. And I just hope that in three years' time, when it's election time again, we can remember this. Yeah,
2: yeah, and clearly there's a lot of work to be done, and that kind of mentality of not getting complacent, I guess, is a yeah, is a good kind of sentiment.
6: Yeah, well, that's what the system does. You know, it kind of gives us this disappointment and then gives us three years for it to wear off. Mm. Um, And I think people did do a really good job this time around with the election. I just think we were up against a machine that's much bigger than us, um, that's much more well-oiled than us. Um, You know, political parties have huge PR firms working for them, have huge amounts of money. Um, So, of course, those that are in, in smaller political parties or whatever aren't going to have the
2: same effect on the mass audience, which is the majority of Australia. Mm, Definitely. Um, And I think Zoe wants to ask one last question.
6: (laughs) Awesome.
1: (laughs) Thanks, Adine. Um, Just in response, I mean, you know, we briefly mentioned Queensland, and that made me think of the, I guess, somewhat stark divide that seems to be occurring within Australian politics along somewhat geographical lines. I mean, there is Mm -hmm. some discussion that... Um, Adani is, you know, and the, the activism around Adani was actually a significant factor in a reduction in support for mm-hmm. Labour and the Greens in Queensland, because many mm-hmm. people saw um, it as being, you know, lefty people leaving their bubble and coming out and telling people out in rural and regional areas, what to do and how to think and obviously um you know grassroots movements and having conversations absolutely the way to go forwards but how do we have those conversations in a way where it doesn't feel like um we're making people feel spoken down to or um instructed in in how to think how can we have those conversations especially when we think about the geographical separations in going out and having those conversations
6: um i think it I think it's something that's really, really difficult. I think that people, again, um, we can't expect people who are going to be directly affected um, by things like Adani, indigenous communities that are affected by mining, who speak up and um, protest. They need our support wholeheartedly. I think, like you said, um, you know, people go, oh, the typical greenie lefty is a white 20-something vegan, which is all fine. Um, but their loudness is potentially alienating people? I think yes and no. I think that the bottom line, and I think the bottom line for Queensland in regional areas is, to them, Adani is something that is beneficial because it will bring them work. It will bring them um, profit. It will bring them benefit. They're not seeing the environmental risk um, of doing this within their community i saw a lot of people in mining towns saying well don't take away mining you're going to ruin our work you're going to ruin our town um you know the rise of fly in fly out workers there was no way that they were going to vote against mining and you know this is a really big chunk of the population of young men um whose voices are quite loud um i think getting to them on a again on that one-on-one level If you have a mate who's a fly in fly out worker working in a mine, it's your time now to step up and have a chat to him um, about the repercussions of what he's doing or she's doing. Um, I think it's going to take a lot more explaining of the repercussions rather than just the protesting that it's bad. I think the protesting was vital. I mean, without it, we wouldn't have really heard about Adani. We wouldn't have heard about what's going on with mining. I think that thus far, it, it, you know, has it alienated people? yes and no i don't think people who are going to vote for you know the liberal party are listening to protesters in any way shape or form i don't think it's alienating them i think they actually don't care um i think the protesting is pretty much um raising awareness amongst our own left-leaning communities um so in one sense i would say yeah look keep at it um I don't actually think that alienating people is necessarily a bad thing, um, but I think then reaching out once that's happened and, and once we have raised the awareness, everyone knows where the dani is now thanks to those protesters. But now's the time to take it to the next step and have that conversation. And it, it has to be that one-on-one, sitting around your coffee table with your nan and your uncles and your aunties and showing them that you know what you're talking about, um, coming to them with statistics, Um, Sorry, that was my alarm. (laughs) Um, Yeah, you know, really having that information in front of you. Um, I'd love to see somewhere with a resource for people, you know. Um, This is all the information you need to have a chat. So if someone out there wants to set up a website, this is all the information you need to have a chat with your racist, backward, you know, auntie or uncle. And we all have it. I'm, Mm. I'm an Arab. I certainly have it. We saw the Arab community vote Liberal Party way more uh, than ever before Um, and again for them it's about the immediate future it's about the economic future Um, they're not thinking forward.
2: Nadine I think I speak for everyone at Tuesday Breakfast when I say you give us hope (laughs) and you know I guess we have three years to have these conversations with you and hopefully other people about these strategies and and I think that 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 perspective on reaching people within our own communities is really crucial and I think that's a really important takeaway for, for all of us listening today. So thank you so much for your time.
6: Thank you guys for, for letting us have a chat. You know. <laughs> I appreciate it. Have a lovely day. Yeah, you too. Bye-bye.
4: In December 2017, Tanya Day proud yorta yorta woman and much-loved member of the Aboriginal community was travelling by train to Melbourne. When V-line staff found her asleep, they called Castlemaine Police and she was removed from the train and charged with public drunkenness. Tanya died 17 days later as a result of head injuries sustained while in custody. this would never have happened had the recommendations of the 2001 Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody been implemented. Tanya Day's family is calling for the crime of public drunkenness to be abolished and for the implementation of genuine community health alternatives to incarceration. Please add your support by signing the petition at 3CR Reception, 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy or online by entering Tanya Day Petition into your browser.
0: love our 3CR Radical Radio t-shirts and so do we they're 100% cotton and Australian made and you can get one for just $30. They come in black dark grey and a cool light grey to nab one of these beauties drop into the station at 21 Smith Street or order
6: by phoning 94198377 or you can visit us online at 3cr.org.au forward shop come on you know you want one
1: Good morning. You're still listening to 3CR. Um, at the uh, in the studio now we have one of our regulars, um, who I think feels far more comfortable in the room than than I do, to be honest. <laughs> at the moment, got got her cup of tea, got her computer up, all sorted. So, um, <laughs> and that's um, Roxanne Moore. A uh, Noongar woman and human rights lawyer from Margaret River in Western Australia. Um, She's currently working as the principal advisor to Change the Record Coalition and also for the National Peak Body on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander legal services. And she's here to talk to us um, on behalf of Change the Record around the recent Four Corners report um, into uh, children being detained in um, watch houses. So... um, Roxy, thank you for coming in. No worries. Thanks for having me. Um, So, first of all, for listeners who haven't watched the Four Corners report, um, could you run through what the
0: episode was about? Yeah, so um, last Monday... um, Four Corners aired this um, special investigation that they had been doing um, into kids being held in police watch houses in Queensland, and they uncovered some really um, horrific abuses. So um, there were kids losing fingers, uh, fingertips um, in the watch houses, being um, held with um, alleged or convicted sex offenders. Um, Kids were attempting suicide, um, being denied medical treatment treatment um, being held in solitary confinement, um, like for example, one um, Aboriginal boy who was um, under fourteen he was held in these conditions for over thirty four days and he was found to have the um, the cognitive age of six years old um, so you know there were kids with with disability and cognitive impairment being held in these situations and there 's just no justification for holding kids in police watch houses. We know how dangerous police watch houses are for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. You know, in the 28 years since the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody, over 400 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have died. And this is a death in custody waiting to happen.
1: Absolutely. Um, and on that, on that note, um, what proportion of these children um, in these watch houses are Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander?
0: Yeah, so in Queensland, um, it's 6% of the population uh, are Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander young people, but it's um, up around um, 65% of the prison population. Um, and This is higher than the, um, than the, um, national average. Um, and, you know, it, it's for a range of factors, but just, on those statistics alone you can see that there's like an element of racial discrimination and systemic um injustice uh, against these kids and particularly for kids being held in um police watch houses um these kids are, are are ones who have had their bail denied um and have you know police have a lot of discretion at that point um and we find that um that children who are being in police watch houses are much more likely to be Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander kids.
1: So there's definitely a, a, a massive issue of systemic racism at that initial initial point, um, not, not just throughout the justice system. Um, so in Queensland um, and in, in Australia in general, um, what is the
0: current age of criminal responsibility? So right across Australia, that age of criminal responsibility is... 10 years old and um, in this Four Corners report it was exposed that children as young as 10 were being held in these conditions and having these abuses. and this needs to change. Um, like, it's a it's a very simple solution that the Queensland government can right now raise the age of criminal responsibility to at least 14 years. And if they do that, it's going to fix the issue that they're pointing to. Um, so their justification for holding these kids in police watch houses is that they had to transition 17-year-olds out of the adult justice system back into the youth justice system. And they say there's not enough room in prison Um, well, this is a a solution that they could put in place immediately and also making sure that there are um, supports in community um, to make sure that kids are, you know, prevention and like um, diversion um, and and healing programs, culturally safe programs um, and services so that kids are getting the supports that they need rather than being forced into the justice system.
1: Mm, I mean, 10, that's, that's absolutely shocking. Um, I mean, compared to the rest of the world, and especially, I guess, nations similar to Australia, nations maybe not similar to Australia, how do we
0: compare? Yeah, so globally, the median age of criminal responsibility is 14 years across the world. So Australia is really lagging behind the Mm -hmm. rest of the world. And it's, it's embarrassing. And, um, yeah, the, the research, the evidence, like when it comes to, um, developmental science and, um, you know, health and, um, so like the AMA, the Australian Medical Association came out recently and said that they also support raising the age of criminal responsibility to 14 because the medical research shows that, um, that is the, the age where kids are developmentally at a point where they can understand the consequences, the criminal mm. consequences of behaviour. Um, I mean, you know, it's, prison is harmful for all kids mm. and, but this is a, this is a way, um, that means that. Um, kids at that much younger age uh, are not being brought into the system early because what what it also shows, the research, is that once kids come in at that early age, they're much more likely to stay Mm. caught in the system. Mm. I mean, you know,
1: developmentally, I have a background in early childhood and developmentally, that age period of between 8 and 14, the brain is almost as plastic and um, susceptible to both detrimental and positive effects than in the period between 0 and 5. So I can imagine, I can't even begin to imagine mm. the impact on development um, that those young people are experiencing in those watch houses.
2: And, they, and in, the, in the program, they featured that uh, policeman who's responsible for all the watch houses. And I just thought it was ridiculous when he spoke about how some police people just can't hack it working there and that oh we just move them on because they just they just can't cope with it and if you think these are s- supposedly trained people that uh, yeah, yeah that they have that training to work under these conditions but the fact that some people can't last more than a couple of hours what does this mean for young people in these places?
0: Yeah and it's really disappointing the response from the police but also the Queensland government like their response to this is to they've announced to build another youth prison and you know similar to um, here in Victoria that's the common response that we're seeing and we know that that is just not going to work it's going to make things worse like building a new youth prison is a guaranteed way to lock up the next generation of Aboriginal Mm. and Torres Strait Islander kids and it's you know it's instead of actually putting in place the solutions that we know work like there's enough research and evidence we've had enough inquiries um, and Queensland itself has had a lot of inquiries and it's you know, we we know the answers. It's Aboriginal-run supports, prevention, diversion, um, and we, we don't want to see this. Um, the other thing they've announced is um, they're re-establishing a youth justice department, um, and it's like that's what they've come up with. Like a new youth justice department, which they had, like, only two years ago. They moved it in with um, Department of um, Communities, and now they're moving it back. And it's like, that's not a solution. Like, mm-hmm. we know what the solutions are. There's enough evidence in place. You just need to do it now. Mm-hmm. And we need to do it before um, anything horrific happens further to these kids or or. A worst case of death in custody yeah, absolutely
1: and and on that note you say we know what the solutions are but in terms of getting those solutions implemented what is out there what 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 are you doing what can we do to to do this yes
0: yeah, so um well we are calling for um the age of criminal responsibility to be raised to at least 14 um so uh amnesty international um who were the ones who um were involved in the Four Corners. Um, they're a member of Change of Record. They have got a petition at the moment to um, call for kids to be immediately removed from police watch houses, so you can get over to their website and sign that. Um, I think they've also got a petition to raise the age of criminal responsibility to at least 14. Um, a Change of Record, we've also got a petition um, calling for things like, you know, adequate public housing. Um, we want to see um, an increase in social security um, as well as Aboriginal supports and um, getting rid of those offences that target um, young people uh, and well Aboriginal people who are struggling to make ends meet. Um, so we know that We know that especially for young people, this is connected to the criminalisation of poverty. Um, And so the Change of Record, Free Our Future campaign has been calling for um, solutions to stop that happening.
1: Absolutely. And um, finally, I think you spoke a little bit to this. Um, Is that associated with your um, free-to-be-kids National Plan of Action, and if so, what can we do to support that campaign?
0: Yes, um, so right after the Northern Territory Royal Commission report came out, um, Change Record released um, Free to Be Kids uh, National Plan of Action, which sets out eight um, key steps that we think that, that governments can take to, um, to put these solutions in place, um, things like raising the age, um, things like... Um, making sure that kids who are unsentenced are not being held in prison, because that was the other thing that came out of the Four Corners. Most of these kids have not even been sentenced that Mm -hmm. are being held in police watch houses. Um, And, and that's connected to housing and bail accommodation and things like that. So, yeah, we've got the solutions. Um, you can head to our website, changerecord.org.au to check it out. Um, and, yeah, we just need to keep the Queensland government accountable and tell them that we need to build communities, not prisons.
1: Absolutely, and we'll, we'll share that, um, that link on our socials. Roxy, thank you so much for coming in again. It's always an absolute pleasure, and we always learn so much and feel so galvanised about trying to make change in this country. So thank you.
4: Thanks very much. In December 2017, Tanya Day, proud Yorta Yorta woman and much-loved member of the Aboriginal community was travelling by train to Melbourne. When V-Line staff found her asleep, they called Castlemaine police and she was removed from the train and charged with public drunkenness. Tanya died 17 days later as a result of head injuries sustained while in custody.
3: This would never have
4: happened had the recommendations of the 2001 Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody been implemented. Day's family is calling for the crime of public drunkenness to be abolished and for the implementation of genuine community health alternatives to incarceration. Please add your support by signing the petition at 3CR reception 21 Smith Street Fitzroy or online by entering Tanya Day petition into your browser.
1: to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM and 3cr.org.au George what were we just listening to?
2: Uh, that is Kate's new track Miss Shiny <laughs> it's pretty, pretty good pretty boppy Yeah I it feel. was great
1: great way to, to end the show Yeah
2: we um we have to apologise. We were going to be speaking with Aaron from the Tamil Refugee Council. We have run out of time for that interview today, but hopefully we can chat to him next week because it's a really important topic, obviously, and it'll be really great to, to touch base with him at some point.
1: Absolutely, and hopefully we can get a good, good amount of time for mm-hmm. that. Um, so the six minutes left of the show. I thought we'd do a really quick... Um, recap of um, the election and election results. Currently the Liberal National Coalition are sitting at 76 seats. Labour Party have 69, which is one more than was predicted last night. So, you know, that may indicate um, a potential um Potential shift in uh, how many seats the Liberals would end up with, but it is likely they're still going to be ending up with that, without that 77. Again, when I say Liberal, I do mean the Liberal National Coalition. We do need to remember that they are not one party. They're actually a connection of three parties, the Liberals, the Liberal National Party and the Nationals, um, which does mean that in in reality, when you look at two party preferred across the nation, we usually sit, it mainly sits at Labour and then the Liberals. So Liberals are a coalition rather than, um, though the coalition are a coalition (laughs) rather than um, a single party, which obviously Mm. is is an interesting and unique thing. In Australia, I believe.
2: And so, that does that mean that Labor actually ended up with more
1: votes? As a single party, Labor did end up with more seats and more votes. But again, the coalition have been um, have been running as a coalition for quite a long time now, and are perceived by the majority of the nation as as a single party.
2: Mm. And so, I think we wanted to wrap up the show today by mentioning a couple of things about upcoming Radiothon.
1: Mm, absolutely so I have never come across Radiothon <laughs> being being brand new Baby's to 3CR. First
2: Radiothon. I know I'm
1: both excited and terrified. <laughs> um, George can you tell me a little bit about it?
2: Definitely so Radiothon is the period where 3CR tries to I guess get sub- subscribers and people to show support for the station. Obviously we rely so much on On financial support and Mm. support generally from our communities and it's a period between uh, the 3rd and the 16th of June and we just um, we have a program so every program will have its own radiothon and we get people to call in and talk about what they like about the show or Mm. what they want to support in the show and yeah it's just about raising money and really kind of making sure that the station can keep running essentially
1: yeah <laughs> for sure i mean 3cr is the longest running community radio station uh, in melbourne remember I remember your believe. training <laughs> i know I've still got my training manual sitting by my bed <laughs> um i mean it is absolutely fantastic community radio is something that i had never been involved in before until i sort of fell into fell into 3cr mm. at the beginning of the year and I absolutely love it. It is an amazing community for anybody listening who's ever come into 3CR or even gone past 3CR and seen the amazing mural on the wall. It is one of the most fantastic places to be in. It's the energy and the feel in this building. There's something about it that I can't even begin to describe.
2: Yeah, and I feel like connecting to that history is so Mm. important, hey, because you're in Mm. this space and it's you know, this place that people have come together in and and organised and talked about so many important movements over the decades,
1: and it has that feel to it. It's it's fantastic. It's so Mm. exciting. I mean, I'm literally sitting here in the studio right now looking at a really, you know... Old piece of machinery that's sitting in the, oh, the, yeah. the sitting in the corner <laughs> that I think's just been kept almost just for posterity and interest. It's a real yeah. to real thing, and you just think about all the different stories that might that yeah. might have been put through that, and all the different stories that we can still produce and are yet to come yeah. um, if if we continue to get support from people out there.
2: Yeah, and I and I guess a lot of our conversations today. You know obviously, when we're talking with Nadine, we we're talking about the issues in terms of the media and mm. the concentration of mm. media ownership, and it really demonstrates how important having radical communi- community radio is so that we can talk about these issues unfiltered you know Absolutely. where there's not some kind of um, i guess uh, like push to represent stories in particular ways. We can speak freely, we can speak uh, to our own experiences and how important that is to have these kinds of voices on on air.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Supporting 3CR is supporting independent radio. So
2: Yeah. So we'll be having a, a whole episode dedicated to talking about how much we love 3CR coming wait. up in June. <laughs> and we'll probably also be having some fundraisers, so we'll definitely be talking about that in the next coming weeks. But I guess we should thank all of our guests today. It's been a pretty amazing show.
1: Fantastic show, yeah, yeah. absolutely.
2: Uh, thank you so much to Athena from um, the uh, Jabiruang embassy, but at, at MAP and supporting um, DT who is being held there for minor offences. Thanks to Athena for updating us on what's been going on there. Thank you also to Nadine Chamali who gave us a bit of a rundown of everything that happened over the elections and where to next.
3: Mm.
1: Mm. And, um, and thank you to um, Roxanne Moore um, from Change the Record who is always a fantastic guest to have in
2: um,
5: uh, we hope you all have a lovely week and hopefully you'll tune in next week
1: absolutely
2: see you then